I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are a Paranormal Chicks. Episode 267. Well, Colby and I went to the driving range and I gave it another try. Okay, and you did great. I wouldn't say great. <laughs> but I did a lot better than the first time we went because that first place had no chairs anywhere. And the driving range is fucking exhausting. All of that bending down, picking up a ball, putting it on the tee, swinging, missing. You know, every time I swing and I miss, I think of the movie Enough when he's like punching someone and missing takes three times the amount of energy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I think so does swing at a golf club. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. It's exhausting. Because, you know, when you're playing golf, because I have so much experience, you hit the ball, you go get in your cart, you go to your next thing, you get out, you do it again. No, this is like ding, boom, ding, ding, you know? Yeah, why would they not have anywhere to sit? Uh, I'm rich. Because <laughs> no, that was like the bougier place. But that's stupid. No, if I'm paying more, I want a place that I can, you know, luxuriate in. Yeah, no. And it was like blazing hot then too, you know. But this time, much better. Had a place to sit. Could go be like, okay, just hit, you know, 10. Back's hurting a little bit. Let me go sit down for a second, get a sip of water, film Colby doing his so he can analyze <laughs> his shot. Get back out there, you know. Probably hit well over double the ones that I hit before because I was able to, you know, take a break. But I really liked it. I mean, even bowling alleys have places for you to sit and shit. I know. That place even had a place where kids could, like, bat and were, I don't know about kids, but, like, play cornhole and stuff like that. Oh. You know what? I've never played cornhole. We have a board. I know. Have we ever played it together? No, we've never gotten out of the fucking box, Colby. Exactly. Colby. (laughs) Because I got it for his birthday. (laughs) Is it a state one? Yes. Or no. Anniversary. Anniversary. Yeah, that bastard. (laughs) Well, speaking about holes, Tinder is still tendering. And I've decided that I need to exercise because my body's not used to all the action, okay? Come to the driving range with me. It's a fuck ton of exercise. (laughs) Because, you know, having sex should not, like, put your body into, like, retirement mode for three days. I mean, meanwhile, it was five times. But with the same person, I'm not that good. I've never had multiple people in a day. But then also I need to exercise because yesterday my sister and I moved some stuff from one house to another and my legs are on fire today. Come to the driving range. (laughs) Are y'all still watching New Amsterdam or are you over that? No, we're still watching it. I think we're in the third season. Not sure. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, there's like freaking 20 something episodes each season. It's like, good God almighty. We're in the season with COVID. Well, I kind of feel like you because I did not know there was a Resident Evil series on Netflix, but it came out last year. Had no freaking clue about it. So I am going to start that this weekend. But I was like, this is what Carrie must feel like. Oh, that's cool that there's something new. Oh, it was last year. Cool. Hell, it's usually way longer than that for me. But there's a new show that's like number one on Netflix right now called The Night Agent. Have you watched it yet? Yeah, I did. God damn it. Of course you have. We haven't watched it yet, but it's been recommended to me a couple of times. (laughs) Of course I have. Well, I don't know how you have time for that when you're having that much damn sex. Well, because it was in a day. I can watch a whole series in a day, too. And I'm not sore after that. Your butt will. (laughs) Your butt maybe, but... uh, Well... I guess for both. Yep. Also, though, on Tinder, I'm still getting people who, because I have the podcast on there, because, you know, like, what is it? Uh, All advertisements, good advertisement? Mm -hmm. Well, I still get messages, and it's like, oh, you believe in the paranormal? Let me tell you about this one time. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So, yeah, 
Like, currently I'm talking to someone and he told me about a plantation in Louisiana, not the Myrtles. Okay. Yeah, you get your suggestions from Facebook. Normally so do I, but now it's going to be Tinder. Oh, but here's a question. So I just matched with this one guy and he loves to play pool. And I was like, I've actually never played pool before. Really? We have talked about this. So there used to be this place where my mom and sister had their shop, like, you know, forever ago. And so I was like, what, eight years old? And there is this arcade that was right beside, like, in the same little shopping center. And you know what I remember most about this? He had the best pickles ever. Really? Yes. That doesn't surprise me. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man, and I love those. But he had a pool table. But me and Kenneth, my brother, would just, like, hit the balls in. Like, I never, like, played any of that. And again, that was when I was eight. So there's that. I feel like you would be good at pool, though. I'm not. Are you not? Really? No, I'm really not. I, now, I have I had moments. Have I made a shot behind my back before? Yep. Could I do <laughs> it again to save my life? No. Not a sh- No. Well, no shot. Pun intended, but it's... <laughs> yeah, I really thought you would be good at it. No. I am too ADHD, which is why golf is hard, too, because I'm too ADHD that I want to... Like, I'm just like... I get up and I'm like, panic, 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 and I just hit the ball. That's me with bowling. For a long time, you know, I just did granny rolls. But now, and I mean, we haven't bowled in forever. Because you don't want to go, Tiffany, and I love it. Yeah, but it's expensive for that. But I told y'all I would go and sit with y'all and cheer you on. However, like, I just go and, like, just throw it and walk away before it even hits anything. Because I'm like, it's probably not going to hit anything. Meanwhile, my first thought was, damn, if it was just me and Tiffany bowling, um, we're going to, we need some more people there to get some rest in between. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> we need to be more active. Mm-hmm. Now, I will go and eat some nachos. I bet they have some good cheese fries. Hence why I need the exercise. <laughs> You know what? We need to do that. We need to go bowling. Tiffany, you heard her. I forget. I think Colby, I swear when we first got together, he said he liked it. But I swear the other day he said he didn't. But he'd go. If I was like, let's go bowling, he'd go. Yeah. Look, I know we've said some personal shit on this intro. But if you want more personal shit, because we say some shit up on Patreon, <laughs> uh, you're going to be like these people. Who's going to get all that shitty shit, personal shit? Wow. But what are they called? Patreoners. That's right. So thank you so much, Diana G from Texas. Rebecca C. from Kentucky, or KY, you know. Okay. <laughs> Claudette M. from Georgia. Omera C. from Utah. And Asante W. from Maryland. But for real, if y'all want all the dirty secrets and, you know, good content, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, I buried the lead on something. Oh, gosh. What? You know what? I didn't know that you spelled that L-E-D-E. I thought it was L-E-A-D. Really? Uh-huh. Wait, did you not know that or you thought I thought? The- no, I didn't know that shit. Yeah, I read it somewhere and I was like, <laughs> misspelled. Wait. <laughs> okay, but go ahead. Sorry. I got golf clubs. Oh, did you? Yeah. All these people that are listening are like, I'm, I'm so fucking tired of hearing about golf. But this sporting goods store had a set that Colby had seen like a month ago. It had a sign on it that said left-handed clubs in the wrong box. So somebody had bought them and returned them because they were wrong. But he remembered them being pink. Because he was like, I almost got them for you, but they were pink. And I was like, yeah, I don't want them. Well, when we went the other day, we were literally walking out the store. And he was like, they still had those clubs. And I was like, well, let's go look at them. Because I need left-handed clubs. I do everything right-handed, but I need left-handed clubs. Donna is actually left-handed. Meanwhile, she swings right-handed. Yeah. <laughs> so she's bass backwards of me. Literally, our friendship summed up in swinging at balls. <laughs> They were marked down from like 400 to 
200 and I was like well let's see if they'll take 150 these things have been sitting here like a month let's just see if they'll come down on them because I am all about negotiating stuff I try everywhere I go so we went and talked to the golf guy and he was like absolutely so we buy them we get them home open them because we had pulled them out and open because they weren't pink by the by which is why I was like let's get them I don't know why I just don't love pink like I wanted like they had teal and purple and they were teal meanwhile I want to go to a place in Austin that is pink everything because that's my favorite color. Yeah, I'm like teal purple kind. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we get home and because we had opened the box and looked at them, but we we picked out the driver and looked at it. Well, we get home and take out more than just the driver, and the driver was the only club that was left-handed. Wow. It was like one left-handed with all these right-handed clubs. So we took them back and they were like, well, we can give you a discount on this other set, but it was not enough. Like it was like like 250 or something like that. I was like, I'm just not spending that much money on something I don't even know if I'm going to like. So Colby's all about like buying and selling golf clubs right now, you know? So he was like looking on eBay, looking on all these places. Well, he found a golf shop that had a set of women's left-handed, I forget the brand name, but like better than the ones we were going to buy. Regular like 400, had a markdown to 175. And he was going to offer them 150. It like pulled up and said like the buyer will likely accept an offer between 130 and 175 or something like that so he was like i'm gonna offer him 135 and i was like okay yeah and they took it holy shit for free shipping and everything what color are they like a teal oh awesome so i'm really excited it's i suck and i'm gonna lose a lot of golf balls but you know we have a play against sports here and the more you buy the cheaper they are Well, that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Meanwhile, it's about to get hot as shit outside and be like, yeah, I'm over this. (laughs) I'm like on like a hyper fixation right now. Like I have, we actually, you know what my golf towel is? What? The golf towel from the podcast festival last year. Colby bought a golf towel with all the podcasts on it. So that's my golf towel. And uh, I got me a golf club. Now I got me golf clubs. So, and then I'm going to play two weeks and quit because that's how ADHD works. But... Right now, I am fucking in it. That's really funny. Like, I've even been watching the Masters. Oh, Lord. (laughs) I swear, I'm going to quit talking about golf and myself. You know, one thing I really do love about Colby, though, is that he is so excited for me to do this with him. You know how many men I've heard say, like, they don't want their wives to go with them, or the wife has gone with them, and they've, like, intentionally made it miserable for her so she would never go back. Wow. And stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, Colby's completely opposite. He's so excited. Like, he has been in it looking for this stuff for me. Yeah. Like, he is so excited. He's like, I can't wait to do this with you. Yeah. Which is cool because he does so much with us. Like he goes with us to podcast festival and all of that. And so like, I'm excited to do something that he loves, you know? Yeah. But I'm like, this is how it's supposed to be. Okay. Okay. Enough about me. We got to talk about care of. Well, since Carrie loves talking about herself, you know she's got to take care of herself. Same goes for me. Care of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. Because like we've said multiple times, we don't like getting out and doing stuff. I want it shipped to me. And Care-of obviously knows that each person is different, so they want to take care of you and your wellness goals. So you take a short but in-depth quiz about your lifestyle, what your health goals are, and you get a personalized, doctor-backed recommendation that helps take the guesswork out of what supplements are best for you. Because knowing what's best for you is hard. When you go to the market and you see this whole aisle of all these A through zinc 
that you're like, what the heck do I take? Some of those things I've never even heard of. And then there's like three, six, 12 of all of them. Right. You know, do I need B6, B12, B3? Is B3 a thing? I don't know. I know D3 is. Which one do I need? Right. So also, Carob has your back because they will individually pack your vitamins together so you can just rip that plant-based compostable film open every day and take those vitamins that you know are good for you. But you might be like, every day there's another package that can't be good for the planet. Uh, They're plant-based and it's compostable, so it limits the impact on the environment. And if you're like me, you like to take your vitamins at night, you just take that out. I don't have to put in my pill little, as Donna calls it, pill minder thing. I just take that. I like taking it at night. Whereas I take my, you know, medicine, medicine in the morning. Well, Donna, she just puts it in her little, dee, 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 puts it in her little pill thing. I sure do. Well, I don't want to say little pill thing. Yeah, it's not little. Nothing about me is little. All right. Another good thing about care of, those daily packets are so convenient for travel. Or like she said, I can just put that in my pill minder and it's not like I have to pack anything extra. Well, but it comes in like a vertical box with like the slit at the bottom. So you can just pull them out one at a time. I just have it next to like my toothbrush and stuff. Just pull one out, take it, and then off to bed I go, which is, you know, my favorite part of the day. So if you want to get in on this care of action, you need to head to takecareof.com and enter code creep. 50. And that's going to give you 50% off your first care of order. Again, that's takecareof.com and enter code creep50. T A K E C A R O F.com. And you're going to enter code creep50. And that's going to give you 50% off your first care of order. So take care of yourself and go to takecareof.com and enter code creep50. Guess what? Attitude is back. What is that? That's those clean bamboo sheets. That feel like satin and silk and they're so heavenly to sleep in. Because if you're a hot sleeper like me, but you love cover, these are perfect for you. But even better, the sheets are hypoallergenic. Attitude's sustainable bedding is made from the world's first non-toxic bamboo fabric. And y'all know with bamboo, it's so sustainable. So you know that that bedding is free from harmful chemicals and that you're doing some good for the planet. Honestly, anyone who has slept on my sheets say they are the softest ever. I'm like, duh, I only want the best. Mm -hmm. Slept on it, yeah. So you need to get these light, buttery, soft sheets. But you know, all those uh, bed buddies she's been having, nobody's going to have irritations or allergens because these sheets are hypoallergenic and lacking those chemicals, you know, in the best way possible. And I'm all about the temperature regulation because I swear y'all, early menopause is setting in and this girl is running hot. But she's not a hypochondriac or anything. But we know she loves her sleep. And with Etitude Sheets, you get a better quality sleep. And one thing I love about Etitude is that we know you're going to love these new sheets. But you get to try them 30 nights risk-free and return them no questions asked. But don't worry. Because you're like, yeah, but if I return them, like, you know, they can't just like resell used sheets. Well, they're not. But each sheet, pillowcase, and everything in between is given a second life through their Take Back and Donations program, which I love. So right now you can get $25 off your betting order when you visit Etitude.com slash creep. That's E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E dot com slash creep. 
Look, an attitude is giving me a better attitude up in the mornings because I am sleeping good. So if you want this good sleep, like I love this good sleep, you need to head on over to attitude.com slash creep and get $25 off your bedding order. That's attitude.com slash creep for $25 off your bedding order. All right, well, we got another haunted house on our hands. This one is located in Fish Springs, Nevada. The house is over a century old and was originally built in Carson City, and it was next to a cemetery. It stayed there for years until it was basically up for demolition. And Susan Kelsey, the mother of the family we're going to talk about, she's always had a love for old houses, and she hated to see that house destroyed. She said she couldn't stand to see so much history be destroyed when it could be renovated. And also, just an aside, their name is spelled K-E-L-S-A-Y, so I wanted to say Kelsey, but on Unsolved Mysteries, they pronounced it Kelsey, and you know, you can take whatever Robert Stack tells you to the bank. Wait, how is it spelled again? K-E-L-S-A-Y. I mean, Robert Stack is the end-all be-all. Who would win in Robert Stack versus Keith Morrison? Oh, God. That's fucking Sophie's choice. Right? Shit. I don't know. I know. I just thought about it, and I was like, you know, Keith Morrison is like the dude for true crime, right? But like, so is Robert Stack. Yes. Ooh, I don't know. I do know one person who hates Robert Stack. Who? Tiffany. She's so scared. Yeah, I can, yeah. She's so scared of his voice. Like, it can be in the background or something. She's like, his voice. Wait, I really don't know what I would pick. Y'all let us know, because it is a hard choice. I think I'm going with Robert Stack, though. Robert Stack is just your childhood. Yes. Keith Morrison, I just love him so much, though. I know. I would die if I ever met him. Well, let's not meet him, then. Okay, so back to the Kelsey family. They bought the house and moved it from that property to their land in Fish Springs, which is kind of close to Reno. And here's another little aside. And I don't even know why this would matter to y'all, but my sister and her first husband, they got married in Las Vegas and they spent a lot of time in Reno. And so honestly, I thought they were like super close together, but they're really not. Um, Reno and Las Vegas. Anyway, but they spent all their time in Reno because they were both big Tony Bennett fans and he would go there like all the fucking time. Anyway, it just reminded me because I was like... I don't know why, but geography is so hard for me. Yeah, definitely thought those were close. Right? Yeah. Okay, back to the house. So they had it moved, and they started renovating it in 1977. And it was 100 years exactly from the time it was originally built. And I believe the house was moved a total of three times, but this one being the last. Also, I had always heard of houses being moved, but I never really saw it or understood what they were talking about. But we have a house that's pretty close to us, and I got to see that being moved. And, like, now you couldn't even tell that that house wasn't built there. Mm -hmm. Like, it really fits that property and everything. But it just blows my mind. Who thought of that? Like, you know what? Let's just move this house over here. Like, you just think of a house being permanent. Yeah, I know. When you said you'd never see, I was like, there's literally one right down the road from you. And then I was like, (laughs) oh, okay, that's where she's going. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so the year is 1977, and they started remodeling the house to breathe new life into it. But it seems that it wasn't ready to let go of its past just yet. The family started hearing phantom footsteps walking up and down the stairs at night. Susan, the mom, she said that she felt like they had gotten more than they bargained for. 
And she's all for preserving history, but she started to get not so good vibe from the house. And she said it got to a point where at night she wouldn't walk alone with the lights off or anything because she was so scared of experiencing something paranormal because everything seemed to be louder and more ramped up at night. Which is probably why Carrie would just hate a ghost. Yes. (laughs) You're not wrong. Well, Susan's husband, Jim, said he not only heard footsteps, but he heard something that sounded like an old dress, like swooshing as someone walked. Like those big old chiffon skirts that were popular back in the day. But really, Susan and Jim just kind of pushed that out of their minds because they were like, okay, we've watched too many scary movies. This is just an old house. It's pipes. It's this. It's nothing really scary. You know, the whole old reasoning in a way trick. However, phantom footsteps were not all that they were experiencing. Sometimes their tools would go missing when they were, you know, in the middle of the renovation and their thermostat would actually change temperatures like drastically. And, you know, normally you would think it would turn cold, but it would get up to being set on like 90. Hell no. Right? Look, I can't hardly breathe at your parents' house. And that was what, 76? No. Four. Uh, Okay, I'm sorry. It's such a (laughs) difference. And I don't even know what your grandmother's house was set on. (sighs) Scalding. (laughs) So hot. Okay, but then their four-year-old daughter, Jennifer, had an experience. She was asleep in her bed, and for some reason, she woke up and rolled over. But when she rolled over, she saw she wasn't alone. There was a little boy and an older man standing by her bed. She said that the little boy seemed sad, and the older man, he had a concerned expression on his face. But before Jennifer could know for sure she was even awake, the two figures disappeared. Later on, Jennifer said that they did not look familiar to her at all, but the way that they were looking at her seemed like they knew her. Also, Jennifer said she can't remember if this was the same night or a different one, but in her memory, she combines the two experiences. And it's later when she went back to sleep, she started to feel the bed just feel different. Well, it seemed like the whole bed was floating in the air. And then when Jennifer tried to get like her bearings, because hello, she's a little kid, it wasn't in the air anymore. Jennifer told her parents and Jim, the dad, was like, so you're saying you were levitating or your bed was? And Jennifer said her whole bed was. So they tried to reassure Jennifer that everything was fine, probably a bad dream, you know, whatevs. You're a kid, just go to sleep. However, after that night, the older man's ghost would be seen in the kitchen too. And he was tall with a mustache, just like Jennifer had described to her parents. But it's like they would see a figure there, but before they could wrap their mind around like, oh, wait, someone shouldn't be here. Like I'm alone in the house or whatever. The apparition would be gone. They also started to hear a male's disembodied voice and it would happen pretty much before they would see the apparition. Then on different occasions, both Jim and Susan heard footsteps that seemed to be leading them to Jennifer's room. And so that kind of got them scared that someone or something was trying to attack Jennifer. And now I will say that they had another daughter who was seven at the time, but she didn't really experience anything like Jennifer was experiencing. Uh, but that one of their daughters was being tormented was enough for the Kelseys. 
So they contacted Daniel Martin, who was a local psychic. And I believe Susan was talking to coworkers about, you know, like, I don't know if I'm imagining this, if we're all imagining this. And they kind of pointed her in the direction of Daniel. So they met with Daniel and they wanted to know what they could do to protect their daughter. And also, what the hell is going on in our house? Well, when Daniel visited the Kelsey's home, he like put himself into a trance to contact the spirits of the house. He said that he made contact with an older man spirit named Samuel, and he looked kind of like a sailor. Samuel said he was there to protect Jennifer, not to harm anyone. And so Daniel communicated with Samuel and he was like, look, they're afraid of you, dude. Don't try to scare them anymore. Like, and by that, just don't show yourself. And for a few weeks, things did seem to get more calm around the house. But Jennifer was like, do you think the man's gone? And Susan, the mom's like, yeah, I think so. Seems that way. And Jennifer shook her head and remarked that she didn't think he had left. She thought he was still in the house. But instead of being down in her room or the kitchen, he was now in the attic. But they really didn't have any major incidents or anything happen. And if Jennifer wasn't harmed, then they didn't really worry about it anymore. And so the family lived there for three more years. They did have things happening, but it wasn't a threatening presence. But they did end up moving to another house. But I don't think it was because of the paranormal activity. It was just time for them to move. They kind of outgrown that house. The Kelsey family welcomed another baby into the family, a baby boy named Scotty. And when he was seven weeks old, Susan was doing, you know, the mother shit with him and taking like his growth chart pictures and all that. And she ran out a flash on her camera, which is so old to me that I don't even understand it. She what a flash on her camera? She ran out a flash on her camera. Oh, ran out of it. I was like, yeah, it's so old. I didn't, I didn't even understand what you were saying. Yeah. But it's like, it was like a Kodak, like 110 or something like that. Anyway, so she's like, okay, well, I want to get more pictures. So she propped him up on the couch, put him all around like stuffed animals and stuff and put the lamp on that was right next to him so she could get like, you know, optimal lighting because she doesn't have the flash and this is old as shit cameras. Well, when she got the film developed, because yes, you used to have to get the film developed, which I loved looking at like the negatives and everything that came with you getting your film developed. Can I say that one more time? But I used to love that shit. Now I have no time for it. I, that was a highlight of my time. It's like, ooh, just an hour at Walmart. Or when it came out, Snapfish. Do you remember that? Yes. It's like, I could just send this off and you send it back to me? Hell yeah. Anyway, so she got the film developed and she was there like just looking through the pictures. It's all of her son. And then there's a picture of an old mustache or mustachioed, whatever, man in the picture. And it's kind of like a blurry close-up of his face. But the rest of the pictures were of the baby. And I think like one or two were just black. So it was like black, this picture, and another black one. Did you say mustachioed? Yeah, I have no idea. Okay, just checking Uh because that made zero sense. Okay. I think that's a word. Probably, but never heard of it. I'm also the one that said midwifery, so can't take me anywhere. So Susan thought there had been a mistake, but she looked at the negatives and she saw the man's picture in it and on the same negatives as her son. So she's like, what the fuck? Who is this? Well, then Susan remembered about three weeks earlier, Jennifer had said that Samuel had moved with them and he was in their new house. But at the time, Susan just thought Jennifer's imagination had been running wild and, you know, they have a new kid and 
you know, like what if she's just not used to like a baby making sounds, all the things. But now with this photo, she started to believe Jennifer was telling the truth. And Susan said that she believed that was Samuel's way of confirming like, yeah, bitch, I'm still here. Y'all told me to leave you alone, so I did, and now you're wondering if I'm still here. Right. Well, the photograph became front page news in their new town and was plastered, like, on the front page where people could see if they could identify the man in the photo. However, no one came forward with an ID. And like I mentioned before, this case was covered on Unsolved Mysteries. So they brought in an expert named Vernon Miller, and he said that he could not conclude if the picture was real or fake. He said it looked to be three-dimensional and have reflective qualities. So what he's saying is that if it was a spirit, you know, they're thought to be transparent or self-illuminate. But this kind of shows certain parts of the skin's more reflective, like the forehead. Also, Vernon detected some horizontal lines that ran through the photo. And so he said it could have been taken of a large TV and like kind of up close. Because, you know, like when I take screenshots of my computer, it kind of has that look to it. But... It's not so bad as because sometimes I'm like, whoa, what are all those lines? Yeah, (laughs) but it wasn't like that. But also I'm just like, it just kind of looks like a grainy old picture too. So I don't know. But the Kelsey family sticks by their claim that it's real. It wasn't taken from a TV, you know, all the things. Also, Susan called Dan the psychic back in and asked him if he felt Samuel was in their current house. And he was like, yeah, he is here, but he's acting as a guardian over baby Scotty. So again, the Kelsey's felt safe and not scared by the activity then. So while they're, you know, safe and nestled with their new bundle of joy in their new house, we're going to talk about another family, and that's the Robinson family. They ended up renting the house in Fish Springs from the Kelsey's. And for a while, things were calm. However, in October of 1989, just a few months after they had moved in, the Robinson family started to experience unexplained noises, especially footsteps and disembodied voices. Steve and Mona Robinson were the dad and the mom, and they had two sons, Garrett, who was 11, and Miles, who was 6. Now, the Kelseys didn't say anything about the hauntings because, you know, they needed to rent the place out. And they also thought everything was peaceful back then. Like, okay, you know, they have exercised the demons kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And hell, now they even believe Samuel's with them. So, like, even the friendly ghost is not there anymore. So, everything should be good. Anyway, the footsteps, random bangs, and stuff like that, it was still all things that the Robinson family could rule away. Then the sounds were becoming more frequent and not just a random occurrence. It couldn't just be the pipes 20 times a night. And then things turned a little bit more sinister for the Robinson family. Their 11-year-old son, Garrett, came home one day and heard some footsteps. And he heard a female and a male laughing and some banging coming from upstairs. So he went to see what was going on. However, unlike when I walked in on my parents causing banging noises, Garrett was met with an overwhelming loud humming noise. It was actually like three different octaves of this loud hum and buzz. And it was really disorienting to Garrett. So he ran down the stairs and out the front door. And Garrett finally stopped when he reached the driveway and turned to look at the house just to see if anyone was following him because who was laughing up there and were they just trying to scare him? Were they running after him? What was going on? 
And that's when he witnessed the screen door on the front porch just opening and closing. Like, and it's not just like, oh, the wind was blowing it open. No, it was like someone was sitting there, like just banging it, making a loud noise with each movement. Garrett said his focus was pulled from the door to the side window, and that's where he saw a gray-haired man looking out the window at him, and he had a smirky grin on his face. He said it seemed like the man was trying to scare him, like the, the smirk was like mean to him. So Garrett was 11, basically, when he was on Unsolved Mysteries, and he was so freaking cute, and it also broke my heart that this little kid had such a scary moment. But then Miles, who was six at the time, was also interviewed on Unsolved Mysteries. They're just the most precious kids ever. Oh, I love them. But he was the next to experience something. He was levitated off of his bed in the middle of the night. Sound familiar? Because, you know, same thing happened to Jennifer. But remember, they didn't know any of this previous shit. So it wasn't like the kid was just pretending since he had heard that something like this had happened. Well, and also not like they could just Google it. Right, yeah. Hey, I have this house. Anything happened here? Right. And also both Miles and Garrett would hear a female and a male arguing. And they figured it was their parents. But like on multiple occasions, they learned like, oh shit, our parents are asleep right now. Because shit would just go down at night. You know, when they realized, oh, they're asleep, the shouting's still going on. So they would go and search, but they couldn't find anyone inside. They were all alone. And honestly, that became the last straw for Mona. She told Steve that she wasn't going to live there if things were beyond their control. And like, they're all happening. And what do we do? We're just sitting ducks. Like, Miles could have gotten hurt. He was levitated while he's asleep. And we're all asleep, too. And Steve was like, they're ghosts. They can't really hurt us, okay? Like, you know, total non-believer. And so Mona was just trying to keep the peace and was like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. But one night while Mona and Steve were in their bed, Mona couldn't sleep because she would hear bangs in the hallway. And so she sat up to listen to see what direction the steps were going or coming. And that's when she heard a disembodied male voice from behind her, even though she's like sitting in her bed, like just her pillows are behind her and the headboard. But it came from behind her and it called her a bitch. That motherfucker. Right. And she said the voice sounded very angry. And in his interview with Unsolved Mysteries, Steve admitted that he thought Mona was, quote, going nuts. But then her behavior made him a believer because she was so scared to lay down for bed. Like she would put off sleep as much as she could because that's when all the shit would happen. He was like, you know what? She just wouldn't be doing this because like she's physically exhausted. She's not in a good place right now. She wouldn't just be making this up to do this. You know, she would have been like, oh, I'm scared. Hold me. And then he'd be like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This wasn't that. This was, I am terrified to be awake and you're not awake or all the things. Just a couple of months after living there, by January of 1990, they packed their shit up and got out of there. So the Kelseys called in Dan again and was like, can you just tell us what's going on? So once again, he put himself in a trance-like state and talked to whatever spirit was there. And he said there were three different ghosts in that house. Two males and one woman. And his first impressions of the ghost is like they were way back in the Virginia City era. And I think it just means like, again, like think about the big chiffon dresses Mm -hmm. and like kind of not Western, but old timey. 
They weren't dangerous. However, they were troublemakers. He said that he believed they were the same when they were living. And so they were kind of, his words, cankerous and rowdy in death. Cankerous? Isn't it cantankerous? Oh, is it? (laughs) Maybe that's what he said. Wait, I don't know, actually. (laughs) I don't know. I never heard of it. Why did every episode we're like, so what is this word again? (laughs) You got a canker sore. Yeah, that's probably it. Cantankerous. Why is it that word then? Cantankerous. Bad temper. Okay, thank you, Google. It is cantankerous. In Daniel's words, they were cantankerous and rowdy in life. So they were going to be that way in death. Flash to Daniel listening to this episode. He's not, I'm sure. But he was like, that's not what I said. Not (laughs) cankerous. You know, words are hard. Very. But he did ask the spirits to leave the house. And so the Kelseys believed the house to be cleansed. Now, shortly after this, the Kelsey family sold the house to another family. And they were upfront with what had went on, but the new family still wanted it. And at the time of the Unsolved Mysteries episode, the new family hadn't experienced anything supernatural or paranormal. But now it looks like it's not a private residence any longer. It's owned by a casino that's in Las Vegas. And they let paranormal teams investigate it. But that is all I could find on the Kelsey house. I'm going to let you see the picture, though, okay? Well, and I was thinking when you said that, that um, the people, like, knew what was up, but they were cool with it. And I was thinking, yeah, I'm sure they are if they're going to, like, make money off of it. Okay, here's the picture. I thought the picture was of the kid and he was just in the background. No. So that's why it was, like, something black. This close-up of the face. Remember I said close-up? Yeah. And then another black one. And then all the kid was on the rest of them. Okay, okay, okay. Because I was like, wait, I don't understand. It looks like like some Renaissance painting or some shit. (laughs) I could see that. But also, I feel like if it was from TV, it would have been something that was on during that time. Uh, Because right now, I'm surprised this hasn't been debunked if it was on TV. Because you know, internet sleuths would be like, oh, that's from XYZ at timestamp here. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And no one's ever said that. Yeah, people be knowing shit now. I was watching Love is Blind, season four. One of the contestants, his mom came and was meeting his now fiance. And she was like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm a paralegal. And when he told us your name was Micah, I went and looked you up and looked at what all I could see about background and all of that. And she said, like, she told her son, like, yeah, I think I found her. And he was like, what do you think you know about her? And she, like, rattled off, like, well, her dad's from this. Like, and I think actually from Mobile. So I was like, what? And she's like, I do my homework, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, um, so do me and Carrie. That, that's definitely how we are. For sure. Tiffany was talking to this guy. And I had his whole damn life figured out before she even knew his last name. Okay, I think I did maybe know his last name. I can't remember. What did no, I we didn't know his last name. Sometimes I haven't used my internet sleuthiness when I needed to. Mm-hmm. I mean, me neither. Well, I do try to look up everyone, but sometimes I cannot find them. Because, you know, they'll just give you, like, one name or their, like, nickname. Or sometimes they lie about their name. Definitely. I just have such a hard time with, like, the haunted houses because sometimes I'm like, the whole bed levitated. Like, I don't, okay. But on the other side, I'm like, well, it's also a human that I don't want to hurt their feelings. So, yeah. yeah, I'm sure it did happen. Maybe. Probably not. But also, if you say it did, you know. Well, and it could have just been, like, her feeling some type of way and thought she was levitating because she was, like, four. 
Yeah, especially because these kids were so young. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're freaking talking to Robert Stack when they're 10, 6, however old they were. <laughs> yes. Knowing they were scared shitless. Oh, my God. Four-year-old Tiffany having to talk to him. Oh, my God. I couldn't imagine right now. Okay. My story this week happens in Japan, and I'm going to do my very best with the names. This is the story of Junko Farata. So like I said, this happens in Japan, and Junko was like star student, everything a parent would want from their high schooler. She was smart, didn't get into trouble, had a job working in a factory part-time after school, and you know, of course, like with all of these stories, was beautiful and would light up a room. But like for real, she really was beautiful. Everybody loved her and she was super popular. Well, there was this guy, Hiroshi Miyano. Now, Hiroshi was, well, we don't really love him. He was a bully and everybody knew he was a bully. In Japan, there's basically like a mob called the Yakuza. You had never heard of them before? No, that's a thing. I mean, I knew it was a thing like that everybody had heard of, but I didn't know you had. So yes. Fuck my life. <laughs> How do you know it? Because uh, it's in Marvel stuff and okay, like that. movies, girl, movies. Okay, the Yakuza again, like gang mob, very dangerous, and because this story happens in the eighties too, so you know things were going buck wild in the eighties. So Hiroshi had ties to Yakuza. And he did stuff when he was a kid, like shoplifting, like damaging property at school, you know, all the things to get him in trouble. And like I said, he was just a bully all around. Now, I saw some stuff where he had to go to a private school and he was kicked out of school, yada, yada, yada. But it seemed like he was one of Junko's classmates. He had developed a little bit of a crush on her. But I mean, she's like, Fuck this bully. Uh, no, thank you. And when he made a move on her, she turned him down. Which you should be allowed to do. Right. But he did not take this well. Because again, he fancied himself a bit of a mobster and everybody was afraid of him. So he never heard the word no. But Junko was like, mm, bye. So Hiroshi had a friend named Shinji Minato. He and Shinji were always up to no good. And everything just kind of like lackadaisically said this, if that's, I don't think that's a word. Like, they were just like, yeah, those two were like, they were rapists. Oh, so it was like very nonchalant. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Like, it was just like, yeah, they were like, basically like serial rapists. And they would go into the parks to like, pick out women to rape that they thought like, wouldn't say anything, yada, yada, yada. Oh my god. Yeah, terrible fucking humans. So a few days after Junko rejected Hiroshi, he and Shinji see her in the park. It's November 25th, 1988, and she's coming home from work, heading home to watch something, like she had like something specific she was going to watch on TV. So the two developed a plan. What happened was Shinji knocked her off of her bike and was going to attack her. But the plan was straight out of the movie Enough, where Hiroshi was supposed to come in and be like, bro, get off of her. Like, are you okay? Which is exactly what happened. Shinji knocked her off the bike. He stepped in to be like, oh my God, are you okay? Let me help you. Let me walk you home. Oh my gosh. So she was like, okay, thank you. Like, even though he's whatever, but like, thank you. Yeah, you want to believe the best in people, especially in that situation. Like, she's just been attacked. He saved her. So, you kind of go with the lesser of two evils, you think. Right. And at least she knew Hiroshi. So, Hiroshi led Junko to an abandoned warehouse. When they got there, he proceeded to rape her. 
And he tells her, like, look, you know my connections to the Yakuza. You open your mouth, you try to run, you do all this. I will kill you and your family. So keep your fucking mouth shut or this is going to be bad for you. So she complies because she wants to live. Well, and more than that, she wants her family to live. Exactly. So Hiroshi then takes her from the warehouse back to the park. And again, she is fucking terrified. One, she's been raped and attacked already. And two, he's threatened her and her family. So she's not going to do anything that's going to put herself and her family in more danger. So he takes her to the park where Shinji is waiting. But it wasn't just Shinji. It was Joe Agura and Yasushi Wantanabe. Now there's four men to just her. Oh my gosh. They all four take turns raping her. And after they've brutally assaulted her, they're like, well, we don't, we should, we can't really just like let her go because she knows us. Like she for sure knows Hiroshi. So like he goes to school with her. So like we can't just let her go. She's just going to tell people. What the fuck? So like what should we do? So they decide that they're going to actually just take her to Shinji's house. So Shinji lives with his parents because these are all teenage boys. Like 16, 17, 18 year olds. So he lives with his parents. So they threaten her again because at this point they've gone through her backpack and found a notebook in her backpack with her home address on it. So they're like, you see this? We've got your fucking address. You do anything. You say anything to his parents. You do anything out the way. We're going to hurt your family. Don't forget who our connections are. So she goes with them to Shinji's house and she's literally introduced to his parents as his girlfriend. Whoa. Bless her heart. I cannot even imagine. No. Her parents end up filing a police report that she's missing, but what the guys made her do was they made her call home and say like, hey, actually, I ran away. Stop looking for me. Wow. Now, here's the thing. While Junko was at Shinji's house, people came and went. People in Yakuza. Now, the details on this are not super clear. Like, some stuff may have exaggerated numbers. I'm not really sure. Because something said as many as 100 different people from the Yakuza gang came through and raped her. Oh, my God. We do know that Shinji's parents were a little skeptical of that being his girlfriend and thought something was up. But I think that they were just as scared of him and his friends as she was. And so they didn't report anything. They just went along with it. Wow. Because I would think that 100 people coming through would be suspect, you know. Yeah. But that was their hangout place, which is why they took her there, because that is where people hung out. So I don't know if that 100 thing is accurate, but I did see that. It doesn't even matter if it's not Any amount of people, like, I just feel so bad for her. Oh, y'all, this story is very, very dark, and it's about to get dark. So if you need to skip through this, like, please do. It's not going to hurt our feelings because this is a very dark story. So Junko was kept for 44 days. Oh, my God. You know, I was wondering before you said that you thought his parents were just as scared of him as she was. Because I'm like, okay, you're 16 and you're going to be like, this is my girlfriend. She's staying here? Yeah. And like the parents are going to be like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So it's reported that in the 44 days that she was there, Junko was raped over 400 times by Hiroshi and all of his friends. They were horrible. They did horrible things to her. They would use instruments to rape her with and sodomize her with. They would do iron bars, scissors. Scissors? Mm Mm-hmm. 
chicken skewers. They put a lit light bulb into her. Oh my God. And even lit a firework inside of her. What the actual fuck? I think like, I don't know if it was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But basically it destroyed her. She could not even urinate and defecate basically anymore. Oh my God. Okay, again, this is like really bad. So please skip forward if you need to, because some of this like, it's going to stay with you. They took her left nipple and clipped it off with a pair of pliers. Oh my God. You got to keep in mind too, this is 44 days of pure torture. And of course, she's thirsty because they've, I mean, can you imagine? And when she would ask for water, they would make her drink her own urine. Oh my God. Which she would, of course, immediately throw up. They would hang her up from the ceiling and beat her with golf clubs, bamboo sticks, and iron rods. Bamboo would hurt like a motherfucker. You think I mean, more than an iron rod? No, everything. But like, oh, just depending on how thin it is yeah. too, though, because it gives you that sting. Yeah. Oh, God bless her. Yeah, but the rest could like break bones. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. I know. They would force her to masturbate in front of them. Sorry, Donna. They would force her to eat live cockroaches. Oh, my God. No. No. Did you fucking pick this one just for that? That is, oh, God. No, but when I saw that, I was like, I gotta say it. Oh, my gosh. I'm almost done with the torture, y'all. They would use cigarettes, lighters, and hot wax on her genitals and her eyelids. (gasps) On her eyelids? This is everything I hate, Carrie. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I think it's everything everybody hates. But, yes, I get what you're saying with those are your triggering things. Yes. The worst part of this is, is that the police had two chances to intervene and failed. So the first time that police were notified, there was a guy who had been invited over to Shinji's house to be part of everything. And when he left, I think it like really affected him. So he told his parents and his parents called the police. So when the police got to Shinji's house, everything said the family was like, there's no girl here. So that's why I think, like, the family was as scared as she was. There's no telling the trauma that they had been through with Shinji. Yeah. But the police were like, oh, there's nobody there? Okay, cool, and left. Not like, can we come in and look? No, they just took their word for it and left. Yeah. And then the other time that the police could have intervened was when Junko herself called. (gasps) But she was not able to say anything because the boys found her with the phone before she could say a word. Oh my gosh. So when the police called back, Hiroshi answered the phone and was like, no, 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 sorry, that was an accident. We didn't mean to call you. And they never followed up. Which they're supposed to, right? Right. Which I mean, like, I feel like now with cell phones, because, you know, you hold your phone, your button down, whatever, and it calls, like, I feel like they don't check as much. But like, we're talking a landline here. Like you, well, I don't know what it is in Japan, but like you've got to dial nine one one. It's not like picking up and accidentally hitting zero. Like mm-hmm. you got to call something. You know, like I would. I'm surprised, especially given that there had been this report there. Right. You know, but again, things were on paper in 1988. I'm sure versus like the computer. Also, do you know how bad it had to be for a guy who was like going over to rape a girl anyway? Yes, and do that, and then to go back and be like, yeah, that was too much. I have to tell someone. Yeah. So, Junko's punishment for calling the police was they poured lighter fluid all over her legs and set her on fire. Oh, my God. Like, they're doing everything so just undescribable. Like, 
that oh god i I have no words i know it this one is like that's why i said this is so fucking brutal so please i mean we're pretty much done with the brutal part but like this one is heavy so on january 4th of 1989 allegedly they were playing a game of mahjong and she beat them which i'm like so you just were like here sit up i know that you've been like completely tortured and you probably can't even open your eyes at this point but like play mahjong with us like i don't i don't think that that was what it was right but that's one thing that has been reported she beat him whatever i think that they literally had just finally beaten her to death and she succumbed to her injuries Oh my gosh. So they didn't want to get charged with murder. So they got a 55 gallon drum, filled it with concrete, put her in and dumped it. A couple of weeks go by and the police arrest Hiroshi and Joe on another rape charge. Wow. And while Hiroshi's in the interrogation, the police say something about an open murder investigation not talking about Junko and he automatically assumes it's her and starts talking and confesses. Oh, wow. And they were like, you don't like, they had no idea. Like they were like, this is, you know, tell me more because that's not even who they were talking about. Yeah. Hiroshi ends up telling the police where they can find her body. And y'all, there are pictures online that are a lot. Whoa. So not long after that, the police arrest all four of the boys or the whatever you want to call them. And and here's the thing is at first they weren't even releasing their names because they were all so young, like 16, 17, 18 years old. So they weren't releasing their names, but later it got released, which is how we know what their names are. Here's the thing. Hiroshi got 20 years in prison. Shinji got five to nine. Joe got five to 10 and Wasushi got five to seven. What the actual fuck? They say it's because they were young. Some people say it's because of their ties to Yakuza. I don't know. You know, but it's basically like if they would have been a year older, they would have gotten like a capital punishment. Wow. That is the worst part. No. Oh, my gosh. So all four of them get out of prison. Like they're out now because, you know, this happened in 1988. Yasushi is like the only one that has not reoffended. Shinji got rearrested for beating a 32-year-old man with a metal baton, and he slashed his throat with a knife. So they arrested him for attempted murder, and he was basically like, I wasn't trying to murder him. Like, basically saying, like, if I wanted to kill him, I would have killed him. Just five years after they were released, Joe was arrested for assaulting and basically holding hostage a manager of well, it says like a snack hostess club. So I don't know if that's like a gas station type thing or if it, because everything's been like snack and quotes. So I'm like, does that mean something else? I'm not really sure. But he assaulted the manager and then like kept them there. And he got another four years in prison, which he's been out since like 2009. A bunch of them have changed their names too. But Hiroshi was arrested on fraud. I just feel like if you've done a crime, especially that brutal, I don't care how young you were or whatever, you should not be able to change your name. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like when you have a kid that commits a crime when they're like 12, you know, they may not be the same person. But on the flip side, if they're committing that crime when they're 12, they probably are, you know. Well, but it's the brutality of the crime. That is what I was just about to say. Yeah, there's a difference in, and I, all crimes are bad, but it's just like if they robbed a candy store i don't fucking know 
They held someone hostage and brutally tortured her. Like, the torture that they did on her truly makes my stomach hurt. Yeah. I mean, they're like toy box killer brutal. That's so funny. A pod- That's not funny. But a podcast that I was listening to compared it to that. Yeah, that's, that's how it made me feel. And I think one of them was even 15. Like, these are young kids. I mean, inflicting these brutal injuries on her. I don't even understand how a human can do that to another human. I honestly don't. I don't either. And just because she told him no. And I mean, obviously he was a rapist before and probably after all of this. And bless her family's heart having to hear all of that. And just the fact that they're already out of prison and have reoffended in some way because they got shit sentences what you would think would happen is okay they were out on parole and they reoffended so send them away for life no no no, not gonna happen because they had already completed their sentences yeah somebody dies and i get there's varying circumstances but like accidents blah blah blah, blah. but like somebody dies you should get life in prison I like mean, i'm not about in a situation like this yeah i mean i just don't understand even worse than her death and i know that's weird but It's the torture Mm -hmm. and the keeping her there, you know, the imprisonment and the just severe torture that they inflicted on her and they were okay with it and would have gotten away with it had you not arrested that guy for another rape. Right. Like, okay, so he's done this multiple fucking times. Right. And that's why I'm like, so why did they get out so early when you had them connected to so many other things? Which is why I think that there's so much to the story we don't know as far as their connections. Yeah. Like, it it had to be. Because, of course, this is all, like, movies and stuff. But, like, you know that sometimes courts and police and all that get infiltrated by these gangs. So, I mean, that really could be their connections to the Yakuza, which is why they got out so soon. I really hate this one. Yeah, this is... This was a bad one. Like, no justice, no anything. And what's sad is that, like, in the eyes of the court, justice was served. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's not. Her poor family. I-, I can't even imagine. Hopefully, though, when she called, she was able to be like, hey, I ran away, but, like, I love you. You know, hopefully they got to at least talk to her that last time. But she died trying to protect her family. She played ball, like, with his family and all that because she didn't want anything to happen to hers. Right. We see that a lot with, like, the I Survives and stuff where they play along and end up surviving. But this was, like, a brutality beyond brutality. They had no intention of her living. It just proves her strength to survive that long. Oh, God. No shot I could do that. No. 44 days. How is it that every time you go last, you do the most brutal fucking stories and it leaves me like, I'm like amped up and nauseous at the same freaking time. Well, just like timeline of how our stories come out, you know, this is going to come out the day after Easter. And I think like Lent is 40 days. Oh gosh. You know, like that's not why I did the story. This literally just popped in my head. And I'm thinking about like, have you ever given anything up for Lent? No. Okay. I've tried. That 40 days seems like forever. And it's, and I'm, I'm not trying to like minimize, I'm trying to prove like, this is so insignificant, me being like, let me give up soda, let me blah, 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 like, you know, working on self-control, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's 40 days. And she survived 44 days in like the most brutal environment possible. Yeah. Also, when this comes out, your birthday will be 
the next day. It will. What will we have done, Carrie? Nothing, because you said you wanted to do something the next weekend because you got a boy. I said I would change it around for you. Uh Uh-huh. She did. Oh, I did. did. I was about to say, no, bitch, I got receipts on that one. No, no, no. Because you asked me which weekend would I prefer. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. I got to work this weekend. Got to pay for those golf clubs. Mm Mm-hmm. Kobe's getting you into his expensive hobbies. I know. That's why I keep working the weekends. <laughs> well, thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. I feel like this episode was pretty fucking heavy. So go watch Little Mermaid or something. Get your mind off of it. <laughs> Little Mermaid's brutal too. Really? You're going to say that after that episode? I know, I know. What is your favorite Disney movie? Either Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast. I really love Little Mermaid. Or Aladdin. Oh, I fucking love that genie. You do. <laughs> you do. But I love Sword in the Stone, too. Oh, that's a good one. So many came out when we were young, though, that it's hard to pick. I also really love Cinderella, too. Love that fucking Gus Gus. It's always the side characters that I love the most. I know. Most. I love Gus Gus and I love Lucifer. Oh, I don't like cats, but Lucifer It's because is you me. are Lucifer. Like, literally, she will do a certain movement. I'm like, you look just like him when he's looking for Gus Gus and he can't find him underneath the cups. <laughs> that's my, one of my favorite gifts to use because she can do that in real life <laughs> well th- for real thank y'all so much for supporting us don't forget to like subscribe review all the things and remember creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared, scared.